In fact, there are those probably not here this morning who have become so discouraged and and frustrated that they've given up. You know what? All over the places, churches are losing people, and we don't know why. We don't know how we could do it better, except for they just get frustrated and they pull away discouraged. The second reason I wrote it is this, this book, is that God has given me a heart for those who are hurting, and I feel compelled to share truths I have learned. So like I said, I'm not here to promote it. But here's the truths that can revolutionize and change your faith. Are you ready? God is love. God is good. God is big. There it is. Three truths. At this moment, you're saying, I know why we take the offering before we let him speak. Because we know this stuff. If you were like me, you grew up with Sunday school and you learned. What do you learn? God loves you. God is good all the time. And God is so good and so big and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do for you. You know that song? You know what? First John 4. Gonna do a little bit of a treasure hunt today. First John chapter four. Verses seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone of us, I mean everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Here comes, for God is love. Now, this is a word about loving one another, but really it's saying if God's love is in us, that's what we should do. Hugging's optional. You don't have to hug me at the end of the service. I give you permission not to. I had a lady come up at the end of service one time. She says, you've just been asking for it. She just gave me a big old bear hug. And I went, okay, not do that again. But God is love. It isn't what he does. It isn't what just a mighty God has decided that he will do. Two years. God is love. Point one of the sermon done. Gospel of John, chapter 10. Verses 9 and 11. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. Here it is, folks. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus says he is the good shepherd, not a good shepherd. Remember the passage in Mark ten seventeen, where the rich man comes before Jesus and he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. What's Jesus' response? Why did you call me good? There's no one good but God. Have you noticed the last while, there's a word that is used lots, perfect. I, I work... 
during the week so I can afford my preaching habit. And uh, I go out and I'll put a bucket of oil in somebody's back of their truck and they'll go, perfect. I haven't been perfect all my life and that's all I needed to do. It's perfect. You give somebody some service. Perfect. I don't think we know what that means. We use that word good enough. I like food. It's good. <laughs> I like food. Anyhow, um, let's go to have a donut at Timmy's. That's good. Or a funeral, we'll hear someone say, well, that man or that woman, well, that was a good man or that was a good woman. In the complete sense of the word, there's only one that makes that grade in perfection, and that is God. God doesn't just do things that are good. He is good. Well, it's 11 o'clock, and I've done the second part of the sermon. What's left? God's big. Well, how big is big, and what do I mean is big? Power, majesty, ability, no one greater. That's what I mean. He's so far in the category of big, there really is no second place. Luke. Chapter 1. The angels come to talk to Mary. Here we read this little bit. Luke one thirty four. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? He's just told her, you're going to have a baby. How can this be? I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. The high, uh, therefore also the Holy One is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and now in her sixth month, for she will be for her who is called barren. Here it is, verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. You know, sometimes we read these Bible stories in such Bible ease, we drift over them. The angel's coming to tell Mary, you're going to have a baby. I want to tell you, for an unwed young teenager, this is not the best news. She says, I can't. I've been good. Nothing's impossible for God. The answer is, for anything in life, nothing is impossible for God. God made the world in seven days, creation. I don't think it needed him <laughs> that long to take it. The Red Sea needs a path for the Israelites. No problem. Lazarus is dead for four days and he stinketh. No problem. Jesus had to die in our sins and rise up on the third day. And while it was a sacrifice beyond comprehension, <clears throat> no problem. A day is coming when all of heaven and earth will be put right and sin will be no more and it's going to be no problem for God. There's, so there it is, the truth. That everyone as a Christian, if they just know those three truths, are well on their way. It will change your life. But we have a problem, don't we? We have a big problem. We have the facts, we have the information, but do we have the revelation of who God is? When I went 
the university, one of the courses I had to take was calculus. Now, I hadn't been in school for about 10 years when I went back, and I didn't amaze anybody in my high school with my mental acuity. Uh, so when I went back and I opened up this textbook, calculus textbook, I was suddenly terrified with this. Not only do I not know what the answers are, I can't read the questions. Well, I work. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm just going to try to get past this course. On a midterm test, I sweated trying to get enough information in my head to get some of it right. Now, in the textbook, there were a number of mathematical proofs, and I will not tell it, try to explain to you what they are, except for they don't use numbers. They just use equations, and they break them down. And you ask Graham. He would know this stuff, and he would. Anyhow. You're proving an equation to be true by using other equations. So I don't know how it works. So I take it out of myself to memorize one of these long page long proofs. And you know what? On that midterm, that crazy professor asked for that one. I had won the midterm lottery. And yet, if the professor had taken me aside and asked me what it meant, I would have been exposed as a fraud. Another example, perhaps there are those in this house today that work with electricity. I know nothing. I can change a light bulb and a light switch as long as I take it apart and put it back the same way. But let's just say I know everything. And I stand in front of you and I explain theory, how it works, what it can do, how it does it, even its risks. But let me tell you, if you have a plug-in poster and you stick a knife into it, what happens? You have an encounter. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> I'm working on the swather in the field. I grew up west of Sundry. And uh, cutting hay. And I'm changing a guard and a couple of uh, teeth in it and sickles and um, knives, I guess. And there's just one little cloud that's coming across. And it's not big enough to cause any difficulty. I don't think anything of it. And you know what? It only let out one thing of lightning right over me, the beggar. And you know what? If you're where lightning hits and the lightning and the thunder happens at the same time, I did chicken little in the front. And when I sat back up, I realized I was 10 feet off the front of the swath. And I looked down my hands. They weren't burnt. And I thought, boy, wow. And I went to get up, and I couldn't. Because I had got zapped of all the energy. I just sat there like a marshmallow for about 10 minutes. Just getting I want to tell you, I had an encounter. My understanding of electricity is a lot more than just a book. It can be the same way with the truths of Scripture. One of my pet peeves in church is many times people go for a lifetime just gathering information. Our goal is to know as much about the Bible as we can, and we can compete with one another about what we know and where we scripture we've memorized and everything else. And I want to tell you, there's a part of that that's great because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. 
But what impact is this gathering of information having on us? Let's say you've memorized a love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You know it verbatim. Has it impacted you, or have you just memorized some equation like I did that calculus math proof? So knowing the truth is that God is good, I love, and God is good, and God is big, it's a great start. But only a start, because you can live your whole Christian life with that information, and it will accomplish very little in your spirit. In other words, you've got to put the knife in the toaster. You have to have an encounter with God. You know, so many of our churches are evangelical, conservative churches. We've lost what we knew. That our whole faith started with encounter. In fact, the first four Gospels of the Bible is a story of encounter. The great I Am comes down in the form of man, not just to die for our sins, but so that mankind could encounter a living, breathing, walking, talking Savior, Lord God. He didn't send a memo. He didn't send an email. He didn't send a Facebook message. He didn't send a tweet. He came in person. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be relatable, personal, and touchable. Finally, man could see this God that they talked about and know him and be able to call him by name. I want to tell you that was revelation. When after his death and resurrection, and he tells them, go wait, I'm sending another, the Holy Spirit, who is what? He's still Emmanuel, God with us. What was happening when we became a Christian? Oh, yes, we're asking God to forgive our sins. And yes, we're giving him our lives, but there's more to it. We're asking Jesus by the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. We're having an encounter with God so great at that very moment. I trust that all of you have had that moment. So great at that moment that not only does it change your life, but your eternity. It was an encounter. It wasn't facts. Not just facts. The life of a Christian is to be a life of encounter with God. More than just knowing about his word and about him, but encounters with him so we can download all that crazy knowledge we put up here and get it here where it's going to make a difference in our lives. If you're not getting my passion for this morning, you're not feeling my heart. As a young boy, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and asked him to forgive my sins and be my God. But you know what? That should have been a great start for any life. I remember as a young person that it was real to me. But I had a rebellious spirit in me and I found it hard to live like a Christian and I found it even hard to act like a Christian. In fact is, if you read my book, you will find out that a lot of my life was an act. Most of the garbage that entered my life that would hold me captive for decades happened after I got saved. And that shouldn't have been. I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I was pretty sure that God wasn't happy about it. In fact, my sense of God's love 
was how about how good I was that day. In other words, I had very little revelation of God's love. I had to be good enough for God to love me. And if I and since I was seldom and if ever good enough, I never seldom if ever felt that God loved me. The math was simple for me, not calculus. God loved obedience and hated sin. Therefore, since I struggled so much with sin, God must really hate me. Where some people get discouraged right there. Christians, if you walk around doubting God's love for you, you are putting up a great roadblock for the hand in your life. God is love. You take the Christian who's fallen away and everything, and their life is a mess, and they don't even know their way back, and if somehow you can re-engage them with a hug from God, their life goes upward. Love. God is love. As I got older and my sins more pronounced and entrenched in my life, I became angry with God and I hated myself. And once again, the math was simple. My life was garbage. I was garbage. Who made me? God, you made garbage. So I blamed God. Why did you make me so flawed? For many years, it seemed like everything would go wrong relationships toward about praise God my family stayed with me why my wife is uh, is a miracle 35 years she's wandered with me and she's still vertical but so many other things started to go bad and even some things that would go well would eventually and abruptly just turn around and uh, my whole life and I started throwing rocks at heaven God. Why did you do that? God, why did you do this? Why, God, aren't you letting anything work out? I mean, he's sovereign, isn't he? Doesn't that mean he controls everything? Why had God purposed in his heart that I to allow all this evil in my life? Why hadn't God rescued me from my waywardness? I want to tell you, there was one day where God revealed his truth to me. And now this isn't what happened, but this is exactly how clear it came to me. It was a real clear picture. It was one of those days I was throwing those hateful and blaming rocks at heaven. And it was like I heard this voice. Hey, you better quit breaking the windows. It's the other guy. And the penny dropped. All those years, the enemy had been attacking me and tempting me and holding me with those hell holds of addiction, laughing at me while I blamed God. And I didn't understand that all that was wrong in my life was due to the enemy and that I was unwittingly partnering with him and denying that God is good. People, you have stuff going on in your life. Ask yourself if it's good. Because if it's not, it's not God. If you have sickness, you're facing loss, financial hardship, whatever's happening in your life, you ask this question, if it's good, is it good? You go, no, it's not good. 
That's not from God. Could it be that clear? The enemy has got the church throwing rocks at heaven because of what he's pulling off, and we're blaming God for it. Anybody say amen? Any, is, hello, is there anyone out there? <laughs> you guys look a little like the deer when I come over the hill. <laughs> Anyhow. Mommy, mommy, when's that short pat, man? I'm going to be quiet. You know what? Here's the truth. God can take anything the enemy sends our way and turn it to good. Our good and his glory. That's a promise. But don't, don't, don't let the enemy make you blame God for what's wrong with this world or what's wrong with your life. It's just not who he is. By the way, there are things that are happening in this life that are evil and bad. Absolutely there is. But once we figure out what comes from who, we who are Christians will finally get suited up in our battle garment and stand in prayer and action against those will, those ills, knowing that God goes with you. Why? Because he's good. So what's next? God's revealed his love. He's revealed he's good. God is big. It's time to break off the chains of the enemy. Time to heal old wounds. Gain the victory of not only being forgiven, but by God being able to forgive others. There was a time in my healing where more I spent a lot of time in the front of the church. And just, you know, frequent flyer miles. Here comes Paul again, you know. But there was a time in my healing where I couldn't let go of some of the past. I had so many hurts and broken, and people had abandoned and left me uh, within the church, uh, family, uh, pastoral mentors that had just abandoned me. And I, I'd form the words, Lord, I forgive them, help me forgive them. But you know, there were times I would sit in my office in a literal sweat. I know what that post-traumatic stress syndrome is. Because I would sit in that literal, in the chair, in a sweat, tears would run down my eyes, as every one of these memories would just keep going around and around through, sometimes for hours at a time. And, and thankfully at the Living Hope Church, they were doing a little bit of a prayer time and leading some people to be part of the prayer teams. And they said, you know what, after our lesson, if you want to come in in the evening, you can come in and we'll practice on you. And I went, cool. <laughs> I, I need a lot of practice. So I went in, and this group of people prayed over me, and we just let it go. I confessed that I was unable to do it myself, that God had to be big enough. Here's my testimony. I went through that process for years. After that one night, I've never had to do that again. Can anybody say amen? Revelation. Transformation. What I was learning is that God wasn't interested in all the times I had failed. His one desire was to help me stand by his strength and his power. He wanted to save, heal, and deliver me. I doubt anyone here has a hidden past as ugly as mine. And I was a pastor. 
Perhaps if you read my story, there will be somebody that goes, oh, you have no idea the stuff in my closet. There's skeletons in there still with flesh and blood on them. One of the lies of the enemy is that we're beyond help. That's, we've just blown it too far to expect anything from this good, good God who loves us. And God gave me a clear revelation that one day was, I think, in during a worship time, and I literally got a prophetic picture. It was like Jesus stood before me, close, his hands up, and I could see the nail holes in his hand. And this is the word. If I was willing to do that to save you, can you imagine what I wouldn't do to deliver you? I get saved all the time. I got saved when I was a young boy. Lord God is saving me even today. There's a day coming back when Jesus is coming again, and he's going to save me then too. Salvation wasn't a one-time offer. It was a lifetime offer. God wants all of us to have that revelation. Why? Because he's love, because he's good, and because he's big enough to handle any way or anything that's come in our life or any way that we have fallen or failed. God wants us to have this revelation, but it only happens with an encounter of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the one we invited in. Only the Holy Spirit can take a Sunday school understanding of God's love, goodness, and power from our minds to our hearts and spirits. And today, if you need that kind of encounter in your life, it would be my pleasure to pray on you and over you. The worship team is going to come up, and I will give a final word after they're finished. But I'd just be glad if you came.